Hello, and welcome to the Claremont Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. We now turn you over to our speaker for the day. Our speaker this morning is known to, I believe, all of us here, Brother Larry Price. Some close to 40 years ago, I guess, Larry was commended into the Lord's work full-time back in the 80s and um, has served in many capacities, itinerant, camp worker, book, counselor, riflery instructor, a number of other things, and, uh, but mostly has been used of the Lord in teaching God's Word. Felt he was one of the five couples the Lord used to plant the assembly out here in Claremont, coming out from Hiawassa, and now fellowships over at Bethany Bible Chapel in Satellite Beach. We're happy to have him with us, and so we're going to turn the remainder of our Bible instruction time over to the letter of Christ. Thank you. I was a little nervous when Andy handed me this. I thought it was either a taser or a stun gun at first. And uh, I'm very thankful, though, they didn't have these back in the day when such device might have been used on yours truly. But um, anyway, normally I like to get right into the Word, but since we had the Scripture reading, kind of set the stage for that, which we will be in the book of Philippians chapter 4. And uh, before we do that, I'd like to just mention a couple of things. Number one, I have on the table behind me a copy, some copies of the book I just had published recently, and also I have a series of pamphlets. Now, the pamphlets, every time I explain this, I don't know whether it's just my lack of ability to communicate it correctly or what, but there are five pamphlets, part one, two, three, four, five. Because sometimes people go, I want all five, and they get five out of one stack, which means they only got five of number one. They are all standalone pamphlets. You could read any one of them independently, but it is a five-part series. So you help yourself to those if you like. Uh, They're on how we can know the Bible is true. So it's a five-part series on the reliability of Scripture. It's not written in a a formal kind of a way, but... uh, Ideally, it was kind of designed with the younger set in mind, but they're helpful to anybody who'd like to have them. So the only downside about the book is it's not thick enough for a book stop, for a doorstop, although somebody did say you could double it over and use it for one. So, And Charlie, your name's all through the book. I'm sorry to say in one sense you're just woven in throughout, but it's not actually Charlie. It's the name Lacey, so uh, that's in there. But anyway... Another story. And then one real brief thing before we get into the Word, just uh, to update you a little bit. We continue to try to, well, we continue to try to help with folks in the Bahamas. My um, involvement has been originally with four of the islands of the Abacos, uh, Manowar, Marsh Harbor, Green Turtle Key, and Guana Key. Um, It's just been amazing to see that some of the places where I thought nothing was going to be able to go on have been the very places where things did go on. So people say, how are things going there? There's still a lot to be done, but there is a lot that has been done and a lot that's being done. Um, Green Turtle, uh, probably a month ago, had power restored, which is amazing. If you know how the power grid works, it's not like the first in line. They can't restore the power to everybody's house unless your house has been approved and, you know, inspected and all, but there is power available. That's not true of some of the other islands. But in spite of that, the people continue to work, and uh, I, in the will of the Lord, in about two weeks and a couple of days, I'll be going over with a work team to uh, 
do some work in Man of War and help out there and uh, deliver some more aid. There's been a substantial amount of aid that's been delivered. Uh, one of the good things that did happen is uh, a couple of months or so after the hurricane uh, affected the islands, we were able to get hold of the bank account numbers of the various assemblies in the different islands, which made it a whole lot easier to directly transfer funds, although they weren't able to access them because there weren't any ATMs or banks. But it made available to them the ability to order supplies out of their you know, banking accounts, which they're being used now for uh, reconstruction and so on. So that's just a very brief update. If you get Missions Magazine, there was an article in there I, I wrote in this past month's edition, uh, uh, volume. Um, it had been a while since I'd written for Missions Magazine, and uh, let's just say that I had to reduce uh, an 8,000-word article to about 1,100 words, which was a challenge in and of itself. But anyway, um, that's what's going on. They sure would continue to appreciate your continued prayer for them. It's, it's going to still be a long road in many ways, but... On the one hand, it's been pretty amazing what's been accomplished by a lot of those folks there. So with that being said, Wanda sends her greetings and wish she could be here to see you. It's good to see all you folks again, as always. For those of you who know, my grandson, Matthew's son, Elliot, he is 17. He'll be graduating this year from high school. So that's sort of the status of the family as far as Florida is concerned. So let's turn again, if you're not already there, to the book of Philippians, and we've had already read, but I'll read just briefly again from chapter 4. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and longed for, and my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Eodius and I beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord, and I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel." with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Now, two of the phrases that I'd like to focus in on uh, from this passage, one was, actually both of them were read this morning. One's in verse 7. It's the peace of God which passes all understanding. And the second phrase is in verse 9, the God of peace shall be with you. Now, I just thought, you know, this is the first of the year. It's the first message for you folks of the new year as far as a Sunday is concerned, and the first message I've delivered in the new year as far as a Sunday is concerned. And I suppose that if I stopped there and said nothing else but the peace of God which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, and the God of peace shall be with you, that would be enough. But I'm not going to stop there, as you might have imagined. But those two thoughts or concepts or truths, if you will, they're phenomenal truths just to meditate upon. And so I thought, what a great message for the first of the year, a new year. The peace of God that passes all understanding and the God of peace shall be with you. Now, 
There are some messages that are appropriate for certain times and certain people at certain stages in life and certain situations that they're involved in. But there are other messages that are really necessary all the time. And I think this is one of those messages, the message of the peace of God and of the God of peace. The peace is such an, an important commodity or an important thing to experience when you begin to think about it. It doesn't matter on what scale you think of it. When we begin to think internationally, if countries are not at peace, it makes life very difficult. War-torn countries, countries at turmoil, political upheaval. Life is very difficult in those situations. If we think of nationally, if we have a nation that is at turmoil and, and not at peace, it makes functioning in life very difficult. What about the level of the local church? If a local church is not at peace, if there's turmoil and contention and strife, it makes it very difficult to get on, doesn't it, with the things of God. Unfortunately, it happens. What about a family that's not at peace? If there's turmoil in a family and contention and strife and so on, it makes it hard for a family to enjoy the benefits of peace in the family. And you can bring it down to the individual level. If an individual is at turmoil and strife and turbulence, well, you're certainly not enjoying peace, are you? I think of the picture that Isaiah brings before us with a mental imagery, and it's one of those pictures that has to do with the ocean. The ocean... One of the beauties that I've enjoyed in life, uh, been able to observe, is to go to places like the Bahamas. And it's a funny thing because the locals will often say when us tourists and foreigners go over, they just laugh when, when, the lo- when the tourist or the foreigner says, Oh, look at how beautiful the different colors of water are. And they know the water is the same color. It's just the bottom, you know, that makes it look different or the light or whatever. I get it. Boy, I've seen some water that was just absolutely 30 feet deep and just clear as a swimming pool. But the picture Isaiah gives is this. He says, the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. You know, in a turbulent sea, or as they say in the Bahamas, when there's a rage on and and it's just churning up the dirt and silt and everything and the clarity is just gone That's the picture that Isaiah gives of the wicked. They're like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, for the wicked. Part of the problem in people's life is if they're not saved, they don't know peace. They don't have the peace of God. They don't have peace with God. And they don't enjoy the God of peace. And so their lives could be turbulent. So it's a a message that's necessary, isn't it? I thought of this this morning, actually on the way over. What are the things that disturb our peace? The Lord Jesus stood on the planet and said this, My peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. 
That's a heritage from the Lord Jesus, something He bequeathed upon us in a sense for us to enjoy. Well, if the Lord Jesus promised us His peace, and if it says in Scripture we can have the peace of God that passes all understanding, and that the God of peace can make His presence known to us, then why don't we have it all the time? And so I began to think, what are the things that can be disturb our peace, if you will, or rob us of the benefit of enjoying that peace? Well, I thought, well, sometimes it can be circumstances. We can experience things in life that are disturbing, right? That's how we characterize them. We get news, and it's disturbing news, and it you know, tends to overwhelm us. Things in life that happen could be with our employment, could be with our family, could be with our health. It could be a multitude of different things. The circumstances of life. And then sometimes, people, (laughs) people can (laughs) be disturbing sometimes, can't they? And they can disturb our peace. You're going along and everything's hunky-dory, you know, and you're just kind of cruising along and then somebody comes along and says something or they do something and boy, your peace just goes out the window, you see. It can be people. There's a Big thing here that is interesting, too, because it really flows out of what's going to be in the latter half of the chapter, which I hope to get to, that we didn't read yet, and it has to do with contentment. Very closely aligned with peace is contentment. And one of the things that can disturb our peace is a lack of contentment. And sometimes what produces a lack of contentment in people's thinking and minds has to do with things. It's a false notion that the world presents, isn't it? That the way to peace and happiness is to have more things. And if we only have more things, then we'll have peace and contentment. That really is not, that's not true, is it? Well, that's interesting because I'd like to give you a little outline of the book of Philippians. And it's so brief that even I can memorize it and have memorized it, okay? Because it's only four words. So in chapter 1... You've got circumstances. And the key in chapter 1 is where Paul says, for me to live is Christ. So no matter what circumstances I'm in, I can live Christ. In chapter 2, people, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Chapter 3, things. Forgetting those things which are behind. Reaching forth to those things which are before. The things I counted to be worth something, now I count as refuse. But this one thing I do. Then when you come to chapter 4, worry. Be anxious for nothing. Now what do we worry about? Circumstances, people, and things. And so you find in Philippians that the answer to the problem of circumstances and the answer to the problem with people and the answer to the problem with things, well, it's all found throughout these chapters, you see. And sometimes it's a combination of circumstances, people, and things. Sometimes they all pile on at once. (laughs) But we'll find the key here in chapter 4 to dealing with those things. Now, if you'd like a little bit of a fuller outline, I'd, I'd just suggest this. And there's one word that's here interchangeable, 
Either one works, either one fits, and it's the word life or mind. In chapter 1, you have the Christ-filled life or mind. In chapter 2, you have the Christ-formed life or mind. In chapter 3, you have the Christ-focused life or mind. And in chapter 4, you have the Christ-fed life or mind. The answer is Christ in all of the course, but in various different aspects. And so let's think about that a bit now as we work through the chapter and, and kind of hit the highlights in the time we have. Now, if you've read the book of Philippians, which you probably have, um, and you know a little bit about it, you know that this book is not a problematic book in the sense of it's not written for the purpose of correcting things like, say, the book of Corinthians, which is a very corrective epistle or letter, or the book of Galatians attempting to correct doctrinal error. You don't have those kind of things overtly seen in the book of Philippians. If there's anything at all, there seems to be this little incipient thing that sort of comes up here in the fourth chapter that perhaps between some of the folks like Euodius and Syntyche, there might have been a little something going on, and so he's going to nip it in the bud. And How does he do it? He begins by reminding them of these terms of endearment. Brethren, dearly beloved, longed for, my joy, my crown, in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Terms of endearment. He reminds them of the fact of the, of the, fact of the oneness that we have in the body of Christ. That if we are believers, we are linked together in a way that, well, the world will never understand it, but it's a unique bond that we have in Christ. Been said before, hasn't it? You can choose your friends, but you're stuck with your family. (laughs) And you know, we're family in Christ. You know, I got married and my father-in-law just went to be with the Lord in September, J.T., Elliot, and, uh, you know, it was uh, a troubling thing in many ways. Christmas time for me was a time of uh, sort of a, what would you say, well, both ends of the spectrum. I ended up so depressed sometimes on Christmas, it was unbelievable. And I got depressed because I'd go spend Christmas with my in-laws, JT and Shirley, and then I'd go spend Christmas with my family, who didn't know the Lord. And you talk about a difference. I'd leave my parents' house on Christmas depressed. The focus, the emphasis, the whole lack of understanding of what it all meant, it was just so different and it was so sad to me. And over the years, because my in-laws, I had so much in common with them in Christ. They were more like family to me than even my own parents were. Some of you may not be able to understand that, but it's a reality. How fellow believers can be more dear to you, in a sense, at a certain level. Didn't mean I didn't respect my parents, honor my parents, try to do right by my parents, and so on. It's just that it was different, different, because we were in Christ. And so he appeals to them on that basis, this terms of endearment. 
And secondly, he he shows this sort of mutualness, not exclusiveness, about the equality and togetherness of these people. Notice what Paul says in verse 3. I entreat thee, true yoke fellow, these women which I subjected under me so that I could rule over them. No. They labored with me in the gospel. He puts them on the same level, doesn't he? He didn't say, I am the Apostle Paul and all others. No. It's amazing, isn't it? He puts the women on the same level, fellow laborers in the gospel, Clement, other fellow laborers. And above that, their names are in the book of life. (laughs) We're in the book of life together. And so rejoice, he says. I'm going to suggest to you that when you get to verse 4, it brings you full circle to chapter 1 again which had to do with circumstances. When you get to chapter, uh, chapter 4 and verse 5, it's going to bring you full circle to chapter 2 again. And when you get to verse 6, it's going to bring you back to chapter 3, at least the thought of chapter 3 again. How can we rejoice in the Lord always? And again, I say rejoice. How can we do that? I'll tell you one thing it takes. It takes what I call a Roman 828 attitude. And that's a tough one. We know. Begins with knowledge, doesn't it? Not we think, we hope, we certainly wish. We know that sometimes maybe a few things. No. All things work together for the good to those that love God. And are the called according to his purpose. I want to tell you. That's a confidence we have based on what God says. And based on the truth of his word. It's not something that enters into the experience always. Because it is hard to see sometimes isn't it. My, My grandmother. Which is another story. Had the privilege of baptizing my grandmother when she was 82. But that's that's another story. But my grandmother used to sit around the house all day. And do needlepoint. Very fine needlepoint, petty point. Now, in her younger years, she did, for you, those of you who don't know, it's thread and stitching, making pictures and, and stuff out of thread, to put it kind of, uh, you know, at one level. Now, in her younger years, she used to do like seat covers and cushions and things. But later in years, she did tapestries. Wall tapestries. I mean, they're the size of that table that the goodies were on back there. And she would do it all day long. They were very expensive. She'd finish one. She'd take it in a room where she had a table. She'd throw it in there, start another one. She had stacks of them. And we've been the recipients of a few of those. But what I I mention that for is that if you went into the room and saw them on the table, I don't know why she did it. She always turned them in there upside down. She just take it, turn it upside down. And when you looked at it, it was all this just jumbled up looking thread there. Didn't seem to make any sense to it. And it always reminds me of that poem about the divine weaver. It says, my life is but a weaving between the Lord and me. I cannot choose the colors. He chooses skillfully. Oft times in foolish, oft times in sorrow, and I in foolish pride. Forget he sees the upper, but I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttles cease to fly, 
will God unroll the canvas and explain the reasons why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. That's the way life is sometimes. It looks like to us a bunch of disjointed, loose, jumbled up thread. Doesn't seem to make any sense. But behind it, the divine weaver is weaving a pattern. And sometimes it takes the, the dark threads, which are as needful. And with that in mind, we can rejoice. We can rest. We can relax. And I say it brings us back full circle to chapter 1 because God is in control of our circumstances. Now, having said that, I understand sometimes me, can't speak for you, I do stupid stuff. I don't blame that on God when I do stupid stuff. Okay? But God is in control of our circumstances and all of our life. And then the other secret of peace is found in verse 5. Let your moderation be known unto all men. I got to thinking about that a little bit. Moderation. It means forbearing. It means reasonableness. What's the opposite of reasonableness? You ever meet somebody and they're just unreasonable. You can't reason with them. That's the opposite of what he's saying here. Listen. If you want problems in an assembly, in a local church, get somebody that comes in with their own agenda. And they want to push their own agenda. We have a little short woman that comes from Quebec to our assembly, usually once a year. Her name's Jackie. And uh, she, French-Canadian background, you know, fascinating story. Her dad was the first person in their village to ever get saved. And they ostracized that man. He was a businessman, and they cut him off, and he almost starved to death just because he got saved, you know. But anyway, Jackie came in. So we would always bring her, which was a great experience for this little French-Canadian Jackie, uh, to go to Thanksgiving and Christmas at J.T. and Shirley's house, you know, <laughs> and have dumplings and turkey and the whole deal, you know. You can imagine. But she's a delightful person. Just one day it struck me a couple of years ago, we were talking about something, and she says, when you come to the assembly, you don't come to change the assembly. You come to let the assembly change you. I thought, right on, Jackie. I like that thought, you know. I knew what she meant. Because you get somebody who comes in pushing their agenda, it's going to be a problem and disrupt things. No. Let your moderation, your reasonableness, not insisting on our own way. And isn't that the, the chief thought of chapter 2? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Thought it not robber to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation came into the world and took the form of a servant, made in the likeness of men, a servant. There's no greater appellation that you could ever have than to be a servant of the Lord Jesus. The world looks down on servants. You know, I was in Israel once, 2005, Juan and I, and uh, our Jewish guide stopped at one of the places where there's a gazillion different ruins that sort of all blend together after a while, you know, and they look, was I here or was I there? I must be in Bathsheba, it's Tuesday, whatever, you know. But anyway, um, and we were at this place, we were looking at these tombs and markers, and he says, this is the grave of a Christian. And he said, do you know how we know? I said, well, it says right there, he was a servant. He said, you've been here before? I'm like, No. I read a little Greek, just enough, you know. I'm not real good with the capital letters, but I could tell. It said he was a servant. And he said, 
That's the grave of a Christian. Interesting, isn't it? Imagine that. Not insisting on my own rights. Servant had no rights. Servant didn't get up in the morning and say, well, now today I think I'll go out and golf, you know. Today I think I'm going to go tend to this, that, or the other. The servant was there to serve the master. Not to insist on his own rights. Not picking on golf in particular, particularly thinking of where I'm at. But anyway, um, (laughs) you know, could have said anything, but... So I wouldn't have said fishing or hunting because that's getting a little personal. But anyway, um, you know, back to chapter 2. And then here's the biggie, isn't it? Because this is really the injunction that comes across and sounds like it's just one of those things like, how can it even be? Don't be anxious for anything. Don't worry about anything. Is it just some pious platitude about don't worry about this and just always go around with a stupid grin on your face? Not that any of you people would have a stupid grin, but... You know, what I mean, whatever happens in life. Yeah, my wife just got hit by the car. Isn't God good, you know? <laughs> no, wait, there could be some people that... <laughs> no. uh, bad. Andy, you're the editor, buddy, so, you know, take care of me. <laughs> the digital editor. No, no. But, you know, that that's not... God is a realist. That same Lord Jesus, man of sorrows. Acquainted with grief. And so, God's a realist. No, it isn't that. How is it that we cannot be anxious for everything? Well, here's a few keys. The first one is to pray. By prayer and supplication, let your request be made known unto God. Prayer. Why? Because talking to God begins to take the focus off the thing and the issue and refocus you, recalibrate you, you know, with God. And there's a great liberty in prayer. Let your requests be made known unto God. I've always taken this as a wide open door. Now, obviously there's things in Scripture we're not supposed to pray about because God's already said no. There's no point in praying about that. But other than those things, hey, if you don't know what to ask, just ask. I know I told the story before. I can't remember if I told it here, but the story told about the little boy who went to prayer meeting with his father. And uh, as he went to the prayer meeting with his father, one of the seasoned saints got up and he started to pray. And he prayed all through the Genesis account and all through the captivity and the Exodus and the wilderness wanderings, you know, and he's moving into Leviticus, you know. (laughs) And the little boy tugged on his daddy's coat and says, Daddy, when's he going to ask him for something? (laughs) Sometimes we just need to ask, don't we? Years ago, true story, there was a woman in in the assembly in Jackson where we were, and she was taken to the hospital. I went to see her in intensive care, and just before she slipped into a coma, she motioned for something to write with. She couldn't talk, and a piece of paper, and she just scribbled, pray. Well, what do you pray? She was in a coma for three months on a ventilator. And I went in there one day, and I stood by the side of her bed, and I said, Lord, this woman is a believer. She's suffered so long. Lord, take her home. She got better and lived 15 years. <laughs> I didn't know. I let my request be made known unto God. And guess what? He's big enough to sort it out, isn't he? And wise enough. It's like with our children. Hopefully, if you have children, you don't give them everything they want. Sometimes you say no. Sometimes you say not now. 
Hopefully, sometimes you say yes. And so, let your requests be made known unto God. Talk to God. Put the focus on Him. And then there's what I call mind food. This is very important for peace. The peace of God which passes all understanding will keep your hearts and minds. It will guard your emotions. That's the heart. It will guard your intellect. That's the mind. Through Christ Jesus. And that word keep is a word, it means to umpire or to build a garrison around, if you will. I like the word umpire. Now, I don't watch baseball all year, too many games. If I'm around and I can get to it, I love to watch the playoffs and I love to watch the World Series. By the way, do you know that now they're talking about having electronic digital strike zones? But, you know, I like to watch the umpires. And the good umpires, you know, a lot of times they come across ball, ball, strike! You're out of there! That's what I think of when I think of this verse. When those thoughts and things that would come up that would disturb your emotions and your intellect, the peace of God says, you're out of there! Doesn't let it in. Guard your puts a garrison around your mind through Christ Jesus. Now what I find following, this is just something recently that hit me in this rest of this passage, is the interplay between what is God's doing and what is our responsibility. So this is what the peace of God will do for you. But at the same time, here's what you've got to do. You've got to think on these things. What things? The things that are honest, just, pure, lovely, Good report. Virtuous. Now, my wife's not here. I know I'm being recorded, so I still got to be careful. My wife would have said at one time that I, had, I was a certain thing. Now she can only say I have a tendency to be a certain thing. And I'll tell you what I mean. My wife would have said at one time, he's a news junkie. Now she can only say, I have a tendency to be a news junkie. You know, it took me years to realize that if you watch the first hour, you get the same thing the rest of the day. It's just different mouths saying it, you know, and different guests making the same point. Duh. So I I don't have to sit there for eight hours. I can watch the first hour and pretty much know what's going on. Now, why do I say that? I tell you what, if you want to get your peace disturbed, watch the news. (laughs) Listen to everything that's going on and just saturate your mind with it. It's enough to drive you nuts. I always joked I watched the news to get my blood pressure up. But now I'm on blood pressure meds, so that's no good anymore, you know. But, But it's what you feed your mind on. Watch what he says. There's three words. If it takes discernment. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, if there be anything true, it takes discernment of what to think on. Think takes discipline. You know that in the English language even, if you put an A in front of certain words, it negates the word and makes it a negative. So you take a word that comes out of the Greek language, a word like Gnostic, which means to know, and you put an A in front of it, an agnostic, a person that can't know. 
An old English word, you know what an old English word for think is? Muse. Now you put an A in front of it. Amuse. It means not think. You don't have to think. Amusement. Nothing wrong with amusement. But here we're told we are to think on these things. That requires a discipline of us to pit which things and think on them. And these things, it's directed towards certain areas. We have to focus on those. That's the human part. And then, the God of peace shall be with you. Well, is God not always with me? Well, certainly he is. But there seems to be something like the peace of God here, the God of peace, the manifest presence, if you will, the manifest reality of the God of peace that is real to us. And then one last thing as I prepare to close, and it's a long section, but I just want to touch on this thing about contentment. Paul said this, verse 11, Not that I respect in respect of want, for I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, I know how to abound. I know how to suffer need, I know how to abound. I know how to be full, I know how to be hungry. Now that doesn't sound much like the prosperity gospel, does it? Because prosperity gospel that's preached by some says, you're never supposed to hunger, you're never supposed to suffer need, you're never supposed to be abased. Apparently they haven't met Paul or read his letters. Paul said, in whatever state I am, therewith to be content. I got tired of posing this question. And the question was uh, a certain question about the combined salaries of the four of the major sports in America. And so I went to Dr. Google, the source of all knowledge, and um, asked Dr. Google the question. Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, and throw in the NHL, and you have a combined total salaries somewhere between 12 and $14 billion. You know how they make their money? It's not ticket sales, although tickets are exorbitant now. It's advertisement. And you know what advertisement is based on? Making you not content with what you already have. <laughs> advertisement thrives on lack of contentment because now you don't have the latest phone or the latest laptop, or the latest car, or whatever it is. Not all advertisement's bad. You learn about new things, new products. I get it. But I'm simply illustrating a point. That can be a never-ending cycle, can it? Lack of contentment. Have we learned to be content? Doesn't mean we can't never get a new car or a new phone. But have we learned in whatsoever state we are to be content? And here again, the interplay between the Lord's Doing and human responsibility. I can do all things through Christ Jesus, Paul says. And he says, my God will supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. But he wrote to the Philippians and he says, I'm thankful that your care for me from the beginning has continued. That I received the gift that Epaphroditus sent. Yes, Paul said, I can do all things through Christ and God will supply my needs but God didn't do it by raining $100 bills down from heaven or denaria or whatever. He used God's people to supply the needs of his servant. So once again, the interplay between the human and 
the divine part in this. And so may it help us to think on these things and see some of the things to remember that as we consider everything that Paul says here, just four little points. Number one, God is in control of my life. Number two, my life is to be lived in service, service of God. But remember this, you cannot serve God without serving people. You can't do it. You can't serve God without serving people. Number three, the goal of my life is to know Him. Number four, the God of peace makes available the peace of God and the ability to overcome all anxieties. One last ginormous word is found in chapter 4 and verse 9. Do. Do. Things which you have both learned, received, and heard, and seen in me, do. And the God of peace shall be with you. Our Father, we thank you for the word of God. Take that which has been of just human speculation or thought and erase it from our minds if possible. But that which is from you, cause it to stick and affect us in our minds, our wills, our emotions, our volition, we pray. And we give you thanks again for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the peace that is available by knowing him. We certainly live in a turbulent world and a a society that's at turmoil over so many things. We're thankful that as believers in Christ, the biggest thing ever has been settled. That we have peace with God by faith, justified by faith. We have peace with God. We're thankful for that. And it allows everything else practically to flow from that. So we give you thanks in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.